And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. I'm uh, always excited about Sunday mornings. Always excited that we get to be here, that we get to gather under this roof, be at 455 West Depot Street. Not long ago, it's just an empty building, a warehouse. It's been a chemical company, a pharmaceutical company. It, it was like a old school textile company, a knitting company, and all these things. And now God is using it for his glory. And I don't know if you've noticed that in the songs, there was all this talk about glory. I, I do sometimes wish we saved all the music for the end and we will do that at some point because like the, the the songs try to go with the message as much as possible and there's all this talk about glory all this talk about glory hopefully that you know little seeds are planted so that as we get to the message which is all about the glory of God you know we start connecting the dots and also there was all this talk about joy in in, in the the prayer that Lance just led that it's all about joy and that's what we're talking about today we're talking about what impact the glory of God has on our joy. All right, but before I get to that, I do want to say this. I am like so like crazy thankful for churches and other people that are willing to to partner with us and to help Anthem Church get up and going. We're still only five months into this, right? And sometimes it feels like it's already been years. I mean, I've lost at least an inch of like just where my hair used to be. Uh, I used to blame the kids, but now it's like definitely church planning that's doing it for sure. I'm like so grateful for Miss Stephanie Burgess coming down, not only like vocalist extraordinaire, right, but she is the wife of Pastor Clay Burgess, who is lead pastor at Explore Church. And then uh, Mike Ramsey, he's right back there, he's laying down the tasty bass lines here, like, during the music set, Um, he's a member at Explore Church and a dear friend to us, like, he helped us to get the sound equipment hooked up the night before we launched our Sunday morning services here till, like, 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, just so that we could have sound in the morning, Uh, and then obviously helped our financial team here at Anthem Church get going, he helped train our people to do that, and so I'm grateful for these two, and there are others from Explore church they come down all the time that that help out in a bunch of other ways that you may not realize helping with our our children's rooms and our classes in there whether it's Sunday morning or or Sunday night they continue to be a blessing to us and the reality is that we would not be here if not for Explore Church there were like several of us that were there and then we were sent here to launch this brand new endeavor for the glory of God in Andrew, right? And they continue to support us financially, so much so that if it was not for them, we wouldn't be able to pay the bills and we'd have to shut down, right? So we're grateful for Explore, for everything that they've done and everything they continue to do. And why, what makes me so excited about that is that they are true partners with us. We're partners together for the glory of God. And that this is why we do all of this. This is the reason why there is Anthem Church in Anger, right? It is for the glory of God. It explains everything that we do. Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why next month are we going on a mission trip to Haiti? Why are we gathered here on a Sunday morning? We're gathered here for the glory of God. It is Everything that we do, like the very breath in our lungs, I love that song. I so love that fourth song we just did. You know, great are you, Lord. It is your breath in our lungs. Like, like it is for the express declaration of the greatness and the majesty and the fame and the renown of who God is. 
Everything exists for that. Time and space, matter and energy, inanimate objects, organic life, everything in heaven and everything on earth, everything exists for the express glory of pointing to and declaring the greatness and the fame and the prestige of our infinite and wonderful and good and benevolent creator, right? Everything is here just to to brag about God and to make much of him. Everything that we do as Explore Church is for that reason. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 Worthy are you, so he's talking about God, worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for or because you created all things. So that verse right there tells us that the reason God made everything was to be about the express pointing to and declaration and proclamation of the wonders and the glory of this beautiful powerful, our loving God that does exist. Everything finds its meaning. Everything finds its purpose. Everything finds its direction. Everything finds its ends in the glory of God. How many times can a person say glory in one hour? We are about to find out up in here this morning. All right, last week we started a sermon series and we're working our way through the book of Philippians. And just to tell you, I mentioned this last week, but the main point, like the main theme, like the very heart of hearts of the book of Philippians is the glory of God. And and it's a book, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul around the year 62 AD. And when he wrote that letter, the Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome for going throughout the Roman Empire and telling people about Jesus, just sharing the Christian faith with others. He ends up in prison, and it's from the imprisonment that he writes this letter to a church in a city called Philippi, which is what we would consider northeast Greece. And he writes this letter while in prison, while he himself is being persecuted for his faith. Right, Because he's all about the glory of God. He's all about living for the glory of God. He's all about going out there and telling people and bragging about God and boasting about the prestige, the greatness, the renown, the fame, the majesty of God. And in doing that, he ends up imprisoned. And it's from that area of, of, of suffering, from that condition, that he sends this letter to tell Christians everywhere, it is all about the glory of God. That being a follower of Jesus is nothing if it is not about living for the glory of God. And that's what it's all about. So if you haven't done so, please turn with me in your Bible or fire up your electronic device to the book of Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be on the screen. If you don't own one, if you see one of these near you, that is our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's work excuse me, of God's word. And as you're turning to Philippians, just know it's in the New Testament. It's sandwiched in between the book of Ephesians and Colossians. And today we're looking at chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And as you're turning to Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, let me tell you what we're trying to do through this sermon series. Okay. What we're going to attempt to do is... Every week, we're going to connect the impact that God's glory, his fame is renowned, his prestige, his worth, 
his greatness, the impact that God himself, the totality of God, has on some area of our life. So last week, what we said was, what we looked at was, look at the impact that the glory of God has on our identity, on who we are. Look, look, and that's what we looked at last week. And this is, we got into the introduction of this. And this is what God's glory does. God's glory draws us near to God. So the glory of God's grace, the glory of his love, the glory of his mercy, it compels us to him, right? It draws us to him. His, that, that's what love does, right? Everyone's drawn to love, right? Well, he's infinite love. So his love, the glory of his love and his mercy, his grace draws us to him. And as we're drawn to him, he redefines who we are. So it draws us, it redefines us, and then it drives us or it compels us to live a different kind of life, to live for his glory on, in this world. Right? So those are the three Ds of the glories of God's grace. It draws us, it defines us, and it drives us to live different. So at the moment that a person places their faith in Jesus, so Jesus is God, God's own son, that the moment that a person entrusts their lives to this perfect God-man who died on the cross for us, at that moment they're converted, they're changed, their spiritual DNA is altered in such, to such a degree that they are a brand new creation. They receive a new heart. Their identity is radically transformed. Well, what would you expect to happen to someone whose identity changes? Well, you would expect them to live differently and to live for different purposes. So this is the impact that the glory of God has on those of us that become followers of Jesus. It not only draws us, but it redefines us, and it redefines us to the point that it compels us. It drives us to live differently, and that differently is that no longer do I live for myself. Now I live for the glory, the honor, the prestige, the renown, the worth, the majesty, the greatness of God. Clear? All right. So every week, what we want to do is we want to look at the glory of God and connect it to some aspect of our life. So the glory of God in our identity, the glory of God in faith, the glory of God in love, the glory of God in, in um, hope, the glory of God in our perseverance in the faith, the glory of God in our, our worship, the glory of God in our witnessing, like living for him. And this week, what we're looking at is the glory of God and joy. That's what we're looking at, joy. And I will say this, that as I'm a pastor, and I have a very unique vantage point into life as a pastor. I, to pastor means to shepherd. And, and that really just means that, that my role is to get close to people and to tend to people's hearts. So it means a lot of conversations and it means a lot of time and, and personal discipleship and mentoring and, and it means a lot of counseling and it means a lot of like just listening, like just being an ear, offering some advice. And so, you know, I'm, I'm not too old, but, but this isn't my first rodeo either here at Anthem. I, I've been doing this for, for several years, and, and in, in the course of these several years, I've pastored old and young. I've pastored male and female. I've, I've pastored singles 
and married folks. I've pastored people that grew up in church and people who are brand new to the church. And here is what I am like just very much convinced of. That the number one characteristic that is most lacking or missing in the life of most Christians is joy. And I've, this message has actually messed with me for a few days. Um, today feels like the first time I'm actually preaching as a pastor at Anthem. I've been preaching as a teacher for the last five months. Today I, I feel like I'm actually finally preaching today as a, as a pastor here. And, and I'm coming today very burdened that with, with a pastor's heart that I want everyone to just really live a life of joy. Like to, to have, and, I, and to me, joy, joy is happiness. Happiness is biblical, yeah? Like I heard a pastor one time say, you don't find the word happy in the Bible. Yes, you do. Proverbs 3.13, blessed is he who finds wisdom. The word blessed in the Hebrew is happy. Right? Joy and happy are the same thing. Right? And so God wants us to be happy, but man, we so struggle with joy. We, we're, we're, there's an epidemic of sadness, I think, that is running amok in, in our culture. You know, it's not just this church and not just our town, but like everywhere. There, there's all of this, and the reality is that part of being human is wanting to be happy. I mean, is there anything more human than just wanting gladness? And no, there's not. I mean, God made us to be full of joy, to experience just delight in this world. Like, our, and I don't think it's just a desire. I think it's, an, it's a need. It is a deep-seated need in what it means to be a human that I want to be happy. I want joy to the fullest in my life, and, and our, our, our soul bends toward it. Every fiber of our being, like, longs for contentedness, and it just seems like it eludes us, right? Doesn't it feel like it escapes us? It's almost like some of those stars, if you ever look at a, at a night sky, where you're looking, and you kind of see a star in your periphery, but then you look at it, and then it's gone. Because for some reason, you can only see certain stars because they're so faint in, the, in your peripheral vision. Like, sometimes joy is like that. It's like, I can kind of see it, and you turn towards it, and it's, where did it go? So, I want to approach this morning just with my prayer for, for everyone, for all of us, me included, that we would delight in such a way in the Lord that the joy of the Lord would, in fact, be our strength each and every moment of our lives all the time. But like I said, there, there is an epidemic of joy. And, and the reality is that this, this, we long for this so much. And I found this statistic that the use of antidepressants rose. It doubled between 1996 and 2005. And according to the Centers of Disease Control, now antidepressants are more prescribed than medications for high blood pressure, High cholesterol, asthma, um, I'm missing one, um, headaches. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that those meds are, are wrong. I, 
I would say that, that there's a place for them, but the research bears out that most people who are taking those meds aren't clinically depressed. They're just simply un- unhappy. They're just simply a lack of joy. There's just simply a lack of happiness. Now, and, and just so, now again, I just want to be clear about this. I do believe that there is a place for those meds. There are valid medical reasons for that. And, and I'll use Jamie as an example. When Jamie was 22, she took an antidepressant for six to nine months in conjunction with going to Christian counseling, right? And, and it, it helped Jamie, right? Praise God, right? Like there, there is a place for that, and, it, and God uses it, and it's helpful. The concern is, though, that a lot of people are using it as a crutch, and doctors don't really want to get to the heart of the issue, and they just medicate. And, and we're simply just medicating. We're, in essence, we're anesthetizing ourselves to this, this need that we have for joy. I don't have it, so I need a distraction or something to take the edge off. And there's a, a book written by this guy named Dr. Ronald Dworkin. It's called Artificial Unhappiness. And he writes in his book, too many people take drugs when they really need to be making changes in their life. And that, that guy's not a Christian doctor writing. He's just talking about from a medical profession. He's just being honest. He's like, these, these meds are being used too much, Right? And they're not addressing the real issue. So part of that for us is, because someone may be sitting there going, well, I don't, I don't take any depressants. So Rick, what, what does this have to do with me? Well, everything, because all of us, though we may not be using an antidepressant, we're self-medicating with something. And it's the reason why so many of us run to alcohol or run to recreational drugs or run to pornography or run to gambling or sexual immorality or to something that will distract us, right? It's why so many of us sometimes will, will place all our, all our eggs in the basket of work, our career, and we just hide behind work. I don't want to have to deal with work, so we become a workaholic, and that becomes our functional savior or our family. Some people do that with their family. They, they say, family, you make me joyful. What a burden to put on people, right? Like, you be the source of all my happiness. Good night. Like, geez, talk about messing up some kids and stuff. Like, like so we, we, it's easy. We, we tend toward finding something to anesthetize the pain or our lack of joy. We self-medicate. And ironically, then, the thing that we search for actually becomes even harder to have because we're looking for it in the wrong, in the wrong places. So, The good news this morning is this, that joy is not only available, joy is attainable. It's it's right there for each and every one of us in this room to actually enjoy life, but it requires some change. Just like the doctor said, you know, they're, they're medicating. What they really need is making some changes to their life. The same thing with us spiritually, right? We need to make some, some changes first, and, and, the, and it starts with embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if there's anyone in the room who has never had that definitive moment where they have succumbed to the lordship of Jesus and entrusted their, their lives into him, who trust that he is 
did in fact die on a cross and bore our sin, died, was raised on the third day. I mean, the person that puts their faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's done, that's the moment where joy becomes attainable. It becomes available to us. So it begins with faith in Jesus. And then now to the rest of us who are followers of Jesus and, you know, we've been walking with the Lord and, you know, trying to find joy. Well, for us, it requ- now it's a time of changes. It's time to enter into a season where we start making some changes to our lives. And for some of us, these changes are simply bad habits and bad thinking. And let me be extremely Christian and biblical here. When I say bad habits and bad thinking, I mean sinful habits and sinful thinking. Because the only thing that ever separates us from joy is sin. It's acting in defiance of God and living in a way that is contrary to what he prescribes for us. Okay? So we're talking about bad habits, sinful habits, bad thinking, sinful thinking. So it's time for us to maybe wrestle with and do some of the changes to our lives so that we can enjoy a life of, of joy. And for some of us, these changes, are they're going to be difficult. They're going to be extremely difficult because some of us are stuck in this season of bitterness and resentment. Well, there's no joy when there's bitterness and resentment. And for some of us, we're stuck in this, this season of just sarcasm and cynicism. Well, there's no joy there. All right, so we've got to break free of that. For some of us, it's just constant negativity and pessimism. All right, well, we've got to break free of that. Some of us, it's just constant selfishness and self-pity. Like we're, it's like a little lukewarm pool that we're sitting in, like self-pity all the time. Got to break free. Got to break free of that. And all of this is really tied down to having an unbiblical understanding of what true joy is and what it looks like. And then how do we receive it? How do we live it? How do we embody that? Um, and so it's going to require some work. You know, here's a little bit of joy for you. By the end of this year, sometime between now and the end of this year, joy is going to invade the town of Crepe Myrtles in the form of chicken filet biscuit combos. Amen, right? Finally, it took that to get an amen from the crowd. Before the end of the year, Bojangles is coming to Anger, right? And here is what had to happen before the building comes. They had to knock a building down. They had to demo a building to make room for the chicken filet biscuit combos with sweet tea and extra seasoning. Okay? Well, it's the same thing for us. If, we're, if we want a life of joy, what most of us, if not all of us, need to do, we need to demo some things in our life, some things in our thinking, some things in our heart, some things in our habits. Demo it. And then so that we can build that life of joy. And when I say build, like as if we do it, right? We do it in dependence on God, right? But to be, to, for this life to be built on, on joy, for us to enjoy joy, then it ha- some things have to be demoed. So we got a clear house on some things, lay it, to, lay it waste, so then something wonderful can be built on top of that. And that's, that's what we're getting into. So let's read chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, you know, we're barely into chapter 1 of Philippians. The first two verses are the, the salutation, the greeting, right? Paul was just saying hello. And in verse 3, it actually starts the body, the content. Really, he's now getting into why he's writing this letter. And here, if you just read those few verses, I, you can just hear the joy in Paul, right? It actually says he prays with, pray, with joy. He, he prays with joy. But besides that, there's like a, a certain level of exuberance, I think, that you hear when, when, when you read those few words in just those few verses. There's joy. And keep in mind that my man Paul is writing from imprisonment. How ideal is life for Paul? Not very. Not very. Yet despite his not so ideal circumstances, he experiences joy. And really, that's like the first truth that we all need to know about joy. And it is that true joy is not affected by our circumstances. True joy is not affected by our circumstances. Now, if you are someone who, and you've been, who's been in church a lot, and you've grown up in church, maybe you've been to Bible studies and heard a lot of sermons, or, or someone joy, you've probably heard this before, so I'm not telling you something new. And if me and you, we sat down and we had a discussion about what the Bible says about joy, then those of you who are kind of in the know, you've been around a little bit, we probably would have a very delightful dialogue about how joy is not affected by circumstances. We'd quote scripture and we'd get all lofty and we'd wax eloquent with, with our wonderful thoughts about, you know, joy and, and not circumstances. It'd be highly theological and very, very edifying. Allow me to use seminary language every once in a while. Um, but you know what I'm saying? I, I, there's some of us that could have that conversation, and we would agree with, with that sentiment. But here's the question I have. Does our heart really believe that? It's one thing to say it or think it or even know that the Scripture says it. It's another thing for our hearts to really believe that to be true. It's one thing to have this this theological, biblical discussion, it's, a, it's entirely different when all of a sudden I'm sitting next to a person and they're telling me their problems and their issues and their heartbreak and their brokenness, and all of a sudden their words actually betray what their heart really believes. Because all of a sudden, this is, and it's, I'm, I'm saying other people, I do the same thing, okay? But this, this is what, how we start talking. If I could only get more sleep at night... If the children would only listen and behave, if I had a job, if I had more money, if my spouse were more loving, if, if I was just over this disease, I don't want to be misunderstood. Those are real problems. They are genuine struggles that we all have. They're, they're sources of stress, sources of heartache. I am not minimizing at all that we have made some bad decisions and we have some regret or there are circumstances in our life that cause a lot of angst and, and they, they, they squeeze us quite a bit. I'm not denying that at all. 
All I want to ask is this. What does it say about our heart's understanding of joy if our joy is completely dependent on how perfect things are around us? What does it say about our true heart's understanding of what joy is if our joy is actually tied down to the perfect, ideal, blissful circumstances of our life. What does that say? What it says is this. It says, God, you are not enough. What it says is, God, your grace is clearly not sufficient for me. What it says is, God, I need something other than you. I mean, sure, you're the uh, banana split Sunday, but I need some sprinkles because the Sunday itself is not enough. That's, that's what we're saying. Like, that's what we reveal when we say, if this. And we all do it, right? I do it. I'm confessing it in front of everybody. Anyone with me? All right. Those of you who are with me, and you know who you are, even if you didn't raise your hand, um, let's do some demo work right here, okay? Let's, let, and may God wield that sledgehammer with grace as, as this gets demolished a little bit. All right, let's start. True joy in the world is always in spite of something. True joy in this world is always, always in spite of something. Let me explain it to you this way. Joy on earth is possible. Everything on earth is not perfect ideal. Therefore, let's put the transitive property together. There's joy that is possible, but it's always in spite or despite the circumstances around our life. Always. Let me push it a little bit further. In heaven, joy is possible, right? Not just possible, it's a reality. And in heaven, it is possible perfect bliss. No problems, no tears, no death, no weeping, no disease, no problems whatsoever. However, in heaven, in heaven, our joy has nothing to do with perfect living conditions. Our joy on earth and our joy in heaven has nothing to do to any degree, in any shape, form, or fashion with the circumstances around us. And you know why? Because our joy, if you are a follower of Jesus, our joy is Jesus. Our joy is our Heavenly Father. Our joy is the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Our joy is God himself. Are you following? Everybody tracking with me? Like, it's not the circumstances around us. It's not ideal living situations. It's not those things. Those things cannot make us joyful. What can only, well, the only one that can make us joyful is God himself, his presence, his comfort, his guidance in our lives. Psalm 43, verses 3 and 4 says this. 
Send out your light and your truth. So the psalmist is writing. He's talking about God. God, you send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To my what? Exceeding joy. There, this guy who wrote this psalm, he's actually flat out emphatically proclaiming that God is not only his joy, God is his exceeding, his exceeding joy. God is infinite goodness. Like he's perfect wisdom. He's unquenchable love. He's inexhaustible kindness. He's eternal grace. He's gentle. You know this? That's my king. (laughs) He's gentle. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's patient. This is who God is. You know, God delights in doing good for his people. God knows exactly what is in our best interest, and he does it for us all the time. All the time. Every day, all day long. This is who God is. He is resplendent magnificence. The glory of his grace just goes out from him. His, his marvelous light is really nothing but a light show of holiness and, and love and grace being displayed for the universe to see. That's who God is, right? And just to show us how much God loves us, that's why there's this wonderful story, and we don't get tired of it, and we don't get, it doesn't get old. It is the very core of our Christian faith, and that's why I love talking about it. There is this story where God himself left heaven, the perfect bliss of heaven, and came down into this not very ideal, not so perfect fallen world, right? And God became man, and that's who Jesus is, and he lives his sinless life. And he willingly goes to a cross and there your sin and my sin are placed on his shoulders and he bore the wrath of God, the judgment that we deserve because the wages of sin is death. And he wore, he bore it gladly. He shed his blood. He died. Jesus, God, died On the third day, he rose from the dead. He rose from the grave, having conquered death and having conquered darkness and the devil and sin and all of it. That's who God is. And now, how can he not be our exceeding joy? And all who place their faith in Jesus, who call on the name of Jesus for forgiveness, right, who, who embrace this grace of God that eliminates the power of sin over us, that, that takes away the burden of sin, that takes away our guilt and shame, every person, guess what? It's not just that we're spared from eternity apart from God in a place called hell. We are then one day hand-delivered into the very courts of God where we get to spend all of eternity being showered by the riches of God's glorious grace forever and ever and ever. And let me ask you, how can he not be our exceeding joy? And if God is our exceeding joy, then no lack of ideal circumstances on earth can detract or take away from that. And by the same token, no gold streets or pearly gates in heaven can add to it. So the main question or the first question we all have to answer is, is God your joy? Is he your exceeding joy? 
Because that's where it is. Like if we, this thing that we want, this joy that we so want, this happiness, this contentedness, it's in God. It comes from him, and there it is. So until he becomes the source in our hearts and our minds of joy, we will forever, forever lack it. So, you know, earlier I quoted from Revelation 4.1, which says that everything was created for the glory of God, right? Everything has its meaning, its purpose, its direction, its end in the glory of God. If God is our exceeding joy, right, then joy can only be found not only in him, but in living for him. We were created for the glory of God. That is our purpose. There, there is joy in carrying out or living out this life that we were created to live. So there is joy. It's found in God and in living for his glory in this world, living a life that proclaims the Lord's greatness, that, that embodies his, his, his renown in such a way that it displays it to the world. But that's, where, that's where joy is found. That's where it's lived, and that's where it's it experienced. And, and, and this is what Paul found out. Because there was a time, not that many years before he wrote this letter, where Paul was out there, and, and his main ambition was himself. Like what he wanted to do was elevate his status. He wanted to be like the number one Jewish leader, right? And, he, and he, he was so zealous for that that he was going around persecuting Christians, hunting them down and, and killing followers of Jesus. And then one day he's on this road to a city called Damascus and he came face to face with the glory of God. He met Jesus He met Jesus, and in that moment, folks, in that moment, he came face to face with the reality of his sin. Like, it was a woe is me moment where he understood how how bad off he was in regards to his relationship to God. And in that moment, he realized that what he deserved, justly and rightly deserved, was this righteous indignation, this judgment, this wrath of God, because he's a sinner. And in that same moment, this is what happened. And this is the beautiful part. He found out how loving God is. In that moment, right, where, like, fear took over, grace, his fears relieved. Someone should write a song with the, that as a verse. Um, grace, his fears relieved. He found out how loving and kind and, and magnificent God is. And in that moment, he received forgiveness. He received grace. And he was changed. He was changed. He received a new identity so much so that he joyfully endured persecution. Whereas he before persecuted Christians, now he joyfully let it come to him if it meant that other people could become followers of Jesus. That's how much it changed him and altered him. The glory of God's grace changed so much that he loved God so much that he wanted to, to live for the glory of God. And that became the source of joy for Paul. That became his source of joy in everything that he did. And, and this is what the gospel does to us. It changes us from people who live for ourselves and therefore lack joy into people who can live or live for the glory of God and therefore live a life of joy. That's Paul's example. You know, when I, when I was in seminary, uh, there's a guy in class with me. And his wife, his wife was pregnant, and they were in the third trimester, and she had to deliver. The baby came early, 
Um, baby was born with a lot of complications. And the doctors told them, it's like, um, the baby probably won't make it more than a few days. And this guy, you know, the dad and his wife, the mom, they started from that moment praising God, like in the hospital room, and they would take walks there by the NICU and all this, and they would tell everyone about God's love. And it, you know, and, and I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that, right, folks? Like, like that type of scenario. Hey, that's, that's as gut-wrenching and, and hard as it gets. And, but they're going around with smiles on their faces, praising God and telling people about God and telling them how much God loves them and, and all of this. And a few days passed, and the baby did pass. And you know what they did? They praised God. They praised God. Like, they, they wept. They cried. It broke their hearts. They loved their baby. But they praised God. It, it did not affect their joy. It did not rob it from them because their life, their life, everything about their life is, was consumed in this exceeding joy who is God and in living for his glory. In that perspective, even in the trying times, allowed them to have joy to the point that they continue to live for the glory of God, to, to declare the glory of God's love and grace, even in the midst of that hardship. And then several years ago, I'm, I'm at youth camp, and there's over 200 teens and however many adult leaders there, and, and, uh, and Justin's there with us. Uh, on the second day that we're there, uh, one of our teens, he fell from a 50-foot tall zip line tower onto the ground. And, you know, he gets rushed to the hospital. His mom was there because she was one of the adult chaperones, leaders there. And they rush him, Ozzy, to the hospital. And Ozzy did not survive the injuries. And to this day, it is the greatest display of Christian joy that I've ever seen. Ozzy's mom, Maria, leaves the hospital, comes back to camp. All 200-plus teens are gathered, all the adult leaders, and I, I was sitting on the front row, like right there. I can still remember today. And so I, I was right there at her. And with a smile on her face, she praised God for having been Ozzy's mom for 17 years. And it broke her heart, right? Like the family grieved. They wept. They wept. And, so, and, she, so, and she praised God because we knew that Ozzy was a believer. He had accepted the gospel, so he was in heaven. And then she prayed this prayer. She said, God, use this for your glory. And I can't tell you how many people gave their life to Jesus that week, either at camp that weekend or at the, the memorial service later in the week. See, this, this is what living for the glory of God does. Like when we find that God is our exceeding joy and living for his glory is our joy, even in the midst of the worst possible circumstances, it allows us to not just persevere, but to even do so with a glow because, because our sister Maria, she genuinely had a glow about her that day. 
And, and I'll share this one other story at another church where I was at. I served as a Sunday school teacher, and one of the, one of the this young girls that's there, uh, she'd had spinal bifida all her life. And if you know much about the condition, is is far from fun. And she was confined to a wheelchair all her life, along with other other issues. And never once did she complain, ever did she complain about her plight. I mean, she was just always a delight. And, and I, she was sharing her testimony with the youth group one day, like actually telling people about her story with Jesus and everything. And you know how she concluded her talk? I love this. She's in her wheelchair talking to 150 youth, and she's in her wheelchair, and she smiles. She says, I can't wait to run with you in heaven. I can't wait to run with you in heaven. Folks, that is joy. That is joy. That is a joy that only comes in understanding the promises of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, and entrusting yourself to it. And so that every day in a wheelchair, she is okay with it. Though it does grieve her, she is okay with it because she is running off of the joy of the Lord. And so I share, I share those stories for this reason because it's easy for us to say, well, it's Paul. Paul's in jail, and he can have joy because he's an apostle. Folks, I shared these other stories to say that it's not just Paul. I shared these other stories because it is possible for every follower of Jesus to have the exact same joy in their life every minute of every day, and this requires some, demo, some demoing. It means getting rid of some, some thoughts that just don't quite fit some sinful thoughts, some erroneous biblical thoughts that don't, just don't work, and getting rid of some habits, some sinful habits that just get in the way of this joy that we're supposed to be living with. So, you know, I, I keep saying demo because a building got demoed to put the Bojangles in town. Um, the biblical word for demo is repent. You know, repenting is how we demo something in our life that needs to be demoed. Repenting means to change. You know, I quoted the doctor earlier, right? What people need is life change. Well, here, what we need is life change. And what that means is repenting. Repenting means to turn away from something, to change from this to something else. So that's what we need to do. We need to repent from sinful thoughts. And thoughts like, like, God, you're not enough, or I'm living for myself. Like, those kinds of thoughts. Like, Jesus, your grace is not enough. We need to stop those kinds of sinful thoughts. And we need to break certain habits, which the negativity, the pessimism, the sarcasm, right, the selfishness, the self-pity, we need to break those habits. Those are selfish habits that we have. We have to stop living for ourselves and live for God. And so that's what we need to tear down. What do we need to build up? What we need to build up is joy, J-O-Y. J, Jesus, O, others, Y, yourself. This is the order of joy. Jesus first, others ahead of ourselves, and, you know, we're last. That's how we build a life of joy. And, so, and that's how Paul begins in verse 3. I thank my God. Like, he begins with God, praising God, thanking God. Right? He's thanking God. Like, there's no joy if there's no gratitude toward God. Count your blessings, folks. Like, actually sit down and think about what it is that you have and praise God for that. 
Be grateful. And I'm not saying, well, some of you are cup half empty people and you need to be turned into cup half full people. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that whatever's in your cup, be grateful for it. Be grateful for what is in your cup, right? And if there's something that you don't have, right, instead of being all negative about it, like, oh, woe is me. Why don't I have yada, yada, yada? Actually, praise God that you don't have it because more than likely, it is in your best interest that you don't have it. Yes, there's a part of me that would love a million dollars. I know in my heart of hearts that it would be the worst thing for me. It would absolutely ruin my faith in Jesus. That's me. It would make me less dependent on God. It would make me kind of proud. It would make me spiritually lazy. I'm grateful that I don't have a million dollars. Okay? So thank God and praise God for what you have, and thank him and praise him for what you don't have. It is just as much a blessing from the Lord as as everything else. So count your blessings. Uh, But joy isn't simply, is not only, oh, thank you, God, for what you've given me. Right? So we don't just want to sit there and delight in God's blessings. We want to actually delight in God himself. And that's what Paul does. I thank my God. I mean, you can learn a lot about a person's faith when they start talking about God, and all of a sudden God becomes very generic. Well, the Lord this, and God this, and the Holy Spirit this, and Jesus this. And and they may say all true things, but it doesn't become personal. And what, what, where joy is found, joy is found when a person's faith and their relationship with God becomes personal. When it's not just that I thank God, I thank my God. Psalm, verse, Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, O my stronghold. Joyful people have a close, personal, dear relationship with God. It doesn't exist anywhere else. I, I, I love the little season that my three-year-old is in right now because she's doing this quite often. She just runs up to me and she goes, you my daddy. You my daddy. And she gives me a hug. And then she usually follows it up with a, you the boss. <laughs> Which I'm like, Right. Um, but, I mean, that, if you're a follower of Jesus, that, that, that's where joy is. It's being like a little kid running to a dad and, and saying, you're my daddy, and just grabbing on. It's personal. There's a, there's a closeness. There's a relationship. There's an intimacy. There, there, it's dear to us. So you begin with Jesus, with God himself. You move on to others. That's what Paul does in verses 4 and 5. He moves on to others. He tells us that the reason he's so thankful is because those guys in, in Philippi are absolutely all in, sold out, living for the glory of God. And here's what's so cool, that Paul goes to the city, he shares the gospel, he starts discipling people, there's a bunch of converts, they establish a church, he hangs out for a while, he teaches them, he equips them, he's a pastor to them, and then he has to leave, and then after he leaves, they continue to grow and flourish in their faith, to the point that he calls them partners with them in verse 5. You are partners with me for the gospel. And what joy is that what joy is like that you share the gospel with someone and they receive jesus christ as lord this is why we planted a church to share the gospel with 
with folks, right? And see people get saved and become part of the family, right? And, we, and there's so much joy in seeing someone that you lead to Christ, accept that, and be baptized. I mean, that's so gratifying, not because of what we do, but because of what God does through us. It's like so wonderful, so filling, so joyful. And to, to teach someone the Bible and to see them grow up and then they start teaching other people, holy cow, like, like God, keep using me for your glory. You know, keep using me, make much of others. Like there's so much joy in pouring yourself out for others to see them grow in this wonderful relationship with God. And not only that, to then see God start using them in the lives of others. Oh, good night. And that's the good stuff right there. That's where joy is. And so I wonder if the reason why so many of us have such a deficit of joy is because we're not pouring our faith out into anyone else. Who is it that you're sharing the gospel with, that you're, you're trying to be the light of Jesus to, that you're trying to teach them the truth and disciple them and help them to grow and help them take their next step of faith. Who is that person? Who are those people? Oh, there's so much joy in just pouring your life out and then seeing the fruit, the fruit of God's blessing happen as a result of that. Now, that's, that's why one of the great enemies of um, joy is selfishness. Like, so long as we're all about us and our lives and our world and our issues and our problems, so far as it's us, we miss out on joy because joy is found in pouring our lives out for others. And I mean, that's, that's the life of Paul. That's what he did. That's what he did. So, just to close it out, true joy is not based on our circumstances. True joy is reflected in gratitude toward God. True joy is the result of a personal relationship with God. And true joy, joy is found in being selfless. And you know what? I, there's a part of me that wishes that I could give you some magical formula to take these five steps to a more joyful life, to your best life now and all that. It, it does not exist. There's no magical formula. There's no magical incantation. There's no three steps or five steps toward it. There, there, there is no life application from this other than this. Pray. This is a lifelong process because we may have joy to, today and we're like a sieve. That joy kind of pours out of us and every day it needs to be replenished. And then we may be in a good season, but tomorrow something may happen. And so this is something we have to be diligent about every day of our lives. And it's a process that we have to, to give our lives to or devote our lives to between now and the day that Jesus calls us home. And all I can say is pray, pray earnestly, earnestly, Lord, I want you to be my exceeding joy. Like, pray, like, Lord, I, I don't want to live for myself. Help me, teach me, make me to live for your glory. Pray that prayer. It's like a prayer from Psalm 119. I mean, live for you, walk in your ways, right? Pray it, devote yourself to it. Right? And, and for some of us, it does mean like helping, getting some Christians around us and helping us. Help me with my joy. I'm struggling with it. Help me. Help me. Help me. That's what we're here to do. So 
so just, I don't want to call it grinding out, but there is a level of just hunkering down and like rolling up your sleeves and pursuing this joy, demoing the bad stuff, right? Demoing that, getting rid of it so that this wonderful life of joy can be built up for you. So number one, if you've never accepted Jesus, it starts there. There is no joy apart from Christ. If you've never done that, it has to begin there. And number two, evaluate your life. Go home today, this week, and just begin praying through it. Are you selfless or selfish? What are the bad habits? What are the sinful habits? What, what worldly things are getting in the way of your joy? And start writing it down and talking it out and pray it out to God. So, I mean, this, I mean, I, I, I have no greater prayer for you guys, at least the last three, four days, and that every single one of you would just delight in the joy of the Lord. Jesus died that you would be joyful. Jesus wants you to be happy. John 15, I, Jesus speaking, I say these things to you that my joy may be in you and that it may be to the fullest. That it may abound in you. God wants you happy. But are you willing to do the demo work? All right, let's pray. Lord, Father, thank you so much for your word. I, I thank you for this opportunity you give us to to have a life of joy lord you made us for it and lord you make it available to us and lord if there's anyone in here lord that is in need of that demoing of that repenting of something in their life that that just needs to be demolished that's getting in the way of experiencing joy lord i pray that you would do that in their hearts now liberate all of us, Lord, from the things that keep us from you being our exceeding joy. And since it starts with embracing the gospel, Lord, again, if, if there's just anyone in here who has never given their life to you and accepted your grace, Lord, I pray that it would just start there. May we be people that are just, that live for your glory, Lord, and that that would be our greatest source of joy. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.